Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Well, 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 sukra blood to all of you out there. It is I, the Zagrile Economist, with my main man, Matthew Eret. He is coming to you live. He is representing right from the Canadian Patriot.org, Canadian Patriot.org, as well as the Rising Tide Foundation.net. You can find him over there. With that being said, Matt, what's up, buddy? How are you? <laughs> hey, v. I'm feeling very Frenchy all of a sudden. I, I, I noticed that the uh, the French vibe is heavy with you. You do it well, though. I mean, again, you, I don't think you speak a word of French, but you, I don't. You, you do fool your your French drawl does fool the uh, uneducated ear quite well. <laughs> with an emphasis, with an emphasis on uneducated ear. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? Good, brother. Great, great having you. It's always a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Man, there's so many things happening in the world. Uh, it's a ball of yarn. It is a cluster F. Uh, where do you want to begin, man? Well, I was thinking we, you know, we, we could talk a little bit about some domestic and some uh, international policy. I, I was sure. just um, situating my my brain a little bit for a um, a little presentation i have to do on press tv after this where they want to talk about some of the the recent insane developments on the asia pacific side of things the indo-pacific strategy Mm -hmm. from the collective uh basket case west which has sort of superseded the former asia pivot program of hillary clinton and obama that was put into play in 2012 yeah and uh i you know so i figured we could talk a little bit about that and the the completely terribly stupid situation in japan which is completely i mean there's there's some serious um lacking of awareness of the forces of history in japan just like there is among the governing classes of ukraine and so much of the west as a whole and and i had a lot of hope and i still do have hope that there is an, an authentic nationalist current that is aware of how they have been and currently are still being played in japan by Anglo-American military industrialists, and, or not even industrialists, mil- military uh, fanatics who are obsessed religiously with a one-world government and are more than happy to see uh, Japan burnt to a crisp in the middle of oh, a proxy yeah. war um, against China, just like they're they're happy to see Ukrainians burnt to a crisp in the midst of a proxy war against Russia, which has nothing to do with the freedom and democracy of people in Ukraine or Taiwan or Japan or Philippines or South Korea. Or any of the other countries that are being seduced into or threatened into getting into a, a NATO military pact. But that's one thing that I, I'd like to just 
unpack a little bit is some of the recent developments um, and China's response. So I, I, I guess we could do that a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I think everyone kind of knows that there is a push for a NATO of the Pacific, right? Yeah. In, yeah. The, the AUKUS was the uh, the kickoff party for that nonsense. Yeah. And, and I heard that, uh, that there's a chance that Australia might uh, get out of it. So it'll just be the U.S. and the U.K. So it'll be uh, anus. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I when they were still allowing French France to be a part of it, and that it was just the fuckus. Uh, yeah, then it's a fuckus because that's exactly what the West is yeah. at the end of the day. You know, they're good at doing that, they're effing themselves. You know, yeah, exactly. it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Matt. Last night I had a wonderful conversation with a mutual buddy of ours who was the I can't mention his name here, and I won't, but our uh, German industrialist fellow. Yeah. Very great conversation. Um, and um, I'll tell you, it's like, you know, one of the things he said is so true. There's so much uh, synergy and commonality between both the Japanese and the Chinese that if they were to get together, it would be a an axis of unprecedented potential that the, just like if Germany and Russia would get together, the, 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 the Anglo-American deep state fears a, a, a China and Japan. Uh, co- coalition and they will do they will do anything to stop that i mean think how crazy this is matt the 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 last g7 meeting they held it at hiroshima <laughs> God. oh i know I, and, and they, they signed they even signed uh you you had uh what's his name uh fumio kashida and uh and richard yeah. Kunak who signed a joint agreement to expand security cooperation and joint exercises with the, the 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 very same country, I mean, it was Britain that was the supplier and militarizer of Japan originally that right. took over. Because you know, back in the 19, 19th century, this is this is a good jumping jumping on point for most of everything that is going on in the Pacific. Is what was going on with the spread of Abraham Lincoln's system around the world? With and and Asia was no small exception. You had. Um, the Lincoln circles in Russia that were working very closely with allies in China. Uh, bringing in rail development like the east um, eastern Russian component of the uh, the Trans-Siberian Railway that was going down through Mongolia into China. On the one hand, you had in uh, the Meiji Restoration groupings, you had people like Henry C. Carey, Lincoln's main economic advisor, had his network led by uh, Erasmus Peshine Smith, who was on the ground working with the Meiji Emperor and a lot of the uh, the modernizers who recognized the problems of feudal samurai Japanese thinking that was keeping the whole society in a uh, real feudal clusterfuck, you know, where it's just like it was back in the, the medieval age where you had the warlords. You, well, basically you had like, you know, war feudal barons who controlled an area of land in which you had cows, chickens, and humans who were all sorts of the, the same thing. Um, mm. Our purpose was to feed the monks and feed the, uh, the, the aristocratic hered- hereditary elite and that was sort of the problem of Japan that held on in a really sick and sick way for a long time. And with the Meiji Restoration, there was a, a fight over, okay, well, will will Japan um, a jump now, leap into the modern age using the best examples of what U.S. constitutional practices were under Abraham Lincoln? And so E. Peshine Smith and the you know, his, his network was working to bring in protectionism, national banking, um, the idea of credit not as something which is tied to purely like debt or usury, but rather credit for the purpose of investing in long-term internal improvements, rail lines that America was helping, just like they were helping in Russia, build up the rail rail and industrial power of Russia 
to absorb all of the 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 uneducated um, feudal serfs that had only recently been liberated by Tsar Alexander II. The same thing was happening there too, where you had a lot of uneducated, you know, multi generational um, peasants who were living like serfs. Now all of a sudden had to be given trade, uh, like uh, pro, uh, sorry, had to be given skills like real real world building skills to be you know so the the idea of building an industrial base in japan was very important and there were a lot of people who wanted that and then you had this other grouping that was like well maybe we could use some of the technology of the west but tied to a rehabilitation of the samurai spirit of feudalism and the british were more than happy to provide that one because that's what the british wanted and the british worked hard to surround the emperor with a lot of, uh, you know, in, in Shakespeare's story of Othello, you have the character of Iago. Yeah. The, the Venetian spy who's just whispering in everyone's ear to brainwash them to get them to self-destruct. Well, that was what was being surrounded around the uh, the emperor with these British advisors and their minions who basically gave them this myth, the story that, you know, just like Britain is the one world global government as an island country with its island spirit. Uh, destined <laughs> island spirit. Yeah, that was not not like the Caribbean chill, uh, chill spirit. No. Yes, but no, rather like it's, it's, it's not the feeling to feel iry, man. Yeah, not that one. No, <laughs> no a different, a different poisonous ver variant. And they were like, well, you know, we're we're the the superhuman class uh, of masters as Good such island, island masters, and you are too. So we will co-run the world together mm -hmm. and they were more than happy to take the industrial orientation and then convert it towards militarism by providing the, the building up of, of British created warships um, all sorts of military training that was then used to send Japan first into a war with uh, with China in the in the 1890s and then they used their 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 Japanese proxies as puppets to go and use them as a battering ram, a sledgehammer against Russia in 1904, which involved Russia losing, you know, bad due to bad governance. Russia was going through its own internal destabilization destabilizations and, and lack of leadership, but they lost 75% of their, their battleships of their Navy during a Japanese assault, yep. completely decimated Russia. And ever since then, you know, like in Japan was used again and again led kind of like the U.S. has been led since the murder of John F. Kennedy as a dumb giant of the Pacific in this case, whereas the U.S. Right. was more of a dumb giant of the Atlantic to be the, the 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 battering ram for the service of the British Empire. And, and most of those corrupt elites and didn't even realize half the time how they were being used. And we saw it in World War World War Two. Same thing, right? I mean, J Japan was once again deployed, but now under a, a, a more controlled Anglo-American guidance, guiding hand um, to be another battering ram once again against Russia and, and against China at the same time um, in the buildup of, of a fascist militarizing policy and, and also a eugenics policy, because who was bringing in eugenics? It was the, the British Eugenics Society, the, the Rockefeller Foundation, the, the Josiah Macy Foundation, all funded by uh, the J.P. Morgan Rockefeller, you know, machinery of the United States and their handlers in Britain. That was what was was being absorbed by the uh, the racist Japanese governing class of the 1920s and 30s. Right. Better Americans understood this in the 1920s. You even had it up until up until World War Two. You had for like almost 15 years something called War Plan Red and War Plan Orange, 
which was an official U.S. military doctrine mm. put in place by real American patriots who recognized the Anglo-American, um, or sorry, the Anglo-Japanese alliance for world conquest. And they had a program. Th- these are the war plan red and orange. People can Google and read that. Um, that was put into play to respond to any Japanese British attack on America with a counterattack proposal to take over Canada. It's very thought through as well as other British controlled territories around the world with a focus on Japan and amongst the scenarios that they, that the American Patriots who made this policy recognized early on back in the early twenties was one of the scenarios was a planned attack drafted by British foreign, the British foreign office to use Japan to attack Pearl Harbor. This is a a British plan. Wow. Wow. All the way back in the twenties. And uh, and it was only only when Holy the US crap. got pulled into into the war that this plan was finally put into the into the trash bin, and people have just forgotten that it existed and how the yeah, better they, Americans were thinking back it, in the it's, day. It's the 1920s version of Operation Northwoods, man. Yeah. Holy exactly. cow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to this to this day, um, I'm I encounter a lot of people who have a lot of FDR hate. I people should know that yeah, I like for, FDR for no a lot. Right, right, exactly. Um, but this is a big paradox for them because there's a um, a twisting of this very important story um, that's been reframed to obscure the role of the British in all of this. Yep. And focus it and make it seem as though FDR was the George Bush Jr. overseeing his own 9/11 back with the Pearl Harbor attack. Correct. It is Correct. not the same. And that thing. was the neocon story because yeah. they, they, they hate him for that. They hate him for the, for the, the, the new deal. Yes. They hate him for the, for the Pecora commission. Yes. You know? So yeah, that whole story was a complete concoction to, yes. to vilify FDR. Yeah, absolutely. And could I say that, there that there weren't people within the U.S. governing class that weren't that did not have foreknowledge of this planned attack. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say it's very likely that there were figures in the U.S. governing class, but the U.S. governing class was a very mixed bag made up of a lot of deep state operatives that were always trying to work against FDR from the inside, just the same way that we saw the same operatives like Alan Dulles, um, like like. Lyman Lemnitzer, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, yeah. working against JFK from within. Same thing against Trump. You know, we saw the whole thing. Most most of the operatives inside of the Trump administration governing class were oftentimes working against him from within. Same thing for FDR. That was no exception. And, uh, you know, there, there, are, there was a book that was published demonstrating that it was Churchill who gave the command to the, uh, the Australian branch of the signals uh de- de- decryption offices that had uncoded about four or five days before the pearl harbor attacks were officially launched that had uncovered that this uh this plan was underway they wanted to tell their colleagues in the united states but but it's australia they're part of the british empire so they had to go through british high command churchill gave the order to not uh, relay those transmissions to the united states to fdr um, because Churchill was desperate to get the U.S. to go in and save their ass from the mess that in many ways the British elite had created by funding and yep. preparing the groundwork for a fascist world government utilizing Hitler and the Japanese fascists in the first place. So they needed something to provoke the United States the same way the British 
were desperate to get the United States sucked into World War One, another British-created war that had no reason to be other than for purely British geopolitical motives. Um, and, you know, a lot of Americans, America didn't go into World War One until 1917, right? The, the war started in 1914. It was an entirely artificially created war um, that, again, had used British-controlled anarcho-terrorists to carry out an assassination to try to provoke utilizing secret military agreements, collective security agreements yeah. like the Entente Cordiale, which was a Russian, uh, French, British secret military collective security pact that the Germans didn't even know existed um, that involved then activating. And the Germans had their own security pact with the um, with Austria as part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire such that if, if Austria were to get in any any conflict, Germany had agreed on paper to go in and militarily back them up as a treaty, and Serbia had a similar thing going with Russia. So if if, if Serbia got in any, any fight, Russia was obliged militarily to go in and back them up. So it was very easy for the British uh, grand strategists to create, using a lot of secrecy, a lot of psyop, uh, this, the, the climate to get this war going in the first place that was then designed to break up just like what you pointed out the danger of a russia german industrial alliance for progress like we had seen with the lincoln the lincoln um followers in both countries in the 1870s 80s 90s who were working very closely or you know i'm talking here about the friedrich list german networks around otto von bismarck circles who are trying to bring in the full-blown American constitutional economic program, the American system into Germany that involved the Zollverein unifying Germany from being a whole collective of a bunch of feudal baronial states from the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor days into a, a unified industrially advanced nation that would involve a, a protective tariff just like the U.S., was able to do in the in the 1790s by unifying all of the 13 states around a, a unifying new federal currency with a with one protective tariff keep creating a a solid nation with a common self-interest instead of you know having little little groups fighting over scraps locally and then not being a, a country capable of coordinated actions in defense that's exactly in, what's happening today same bloody thing exactly to the t and that's what was being done in both germany and russia where the allies were working together to build rail both even with the Ottoman Empire that was wanting to, to modernize with the help of these groups, with the Berlin to Baghdad Railway, there were there were groups talking about bringing these same individuals were working to create peace agreements to, to avoid falling into the traps of wars being set by the British. Um, but, and it was all Russia, Germany. And if you look at the Fabian Society, if you look at the leading Milnerites uh, around the Oxford groups, uh, and here I'm talking about the Rhodesian, South African, uh, you know, Oxford Rhodes Scholar um, Rhodes Trust hives that worked always very closely with the Coefficients Club, with the, uh, the the Fabian Society of Eugenicists. All of these these nests that were reorganizing the British Empire. If you read their writings in those days, they're all petrified of the potential alliance of a U.S. German Russia alliance, um, and that's what had to always be crushed. So the idea of World War One was to try to get these two allies, historic allies of Germany and Russia, to go and destroy each other. That was the, the point of the Bolshevik Revolution. That's why uh, Trotsky was being funded by Wall Street and, and Lord Milner, who oversaw yep. providing $20 million of loans to the Bolsheviks in 1917 to overthrow the Romanovs. It wasn't to provide, you know, it, uh, 
freedom and democracy for the Russians as it was being proclaimed amongst the uh, the rules based order west of the 1917 period. No, it was it was for a regime change to overthrow a government that wasn't inclined to go along with the depopulation agenda um, and bring in what was what Trotsky represented, which is why people like Trotsky were getting his cash and working with Jacob Schiff, the same characters who were who had funded the Japanese attack on Russia in 1904, Jacob Schiff, the same guy who was working with uh, Edward Mandelhaus, the, the Eminence Gris of the American Civil Service and advisor to Woodrow Wilson, who oversaw the... These were the same people bringing in the Federal Reserve Act and the Income Tax uh, Acts of 1913. These are the same people working with Trotsky in 1917 and funding the Bolshevik Revolution. They were the same people working to bring in the United States into a war that they had no desire, no interest to be a part of, World War I, which involved a true false flag attack. Like, that's where you had a real 9-11 with the sinking of the Lusitania. That was a, an American right. ship, right, that was carrying passengers, but there was intel information that was given through British operatives to the Germans and all to, to let the Germans know that that ship was also carrying a massive amount of weapons for the Europeans to fight the Germans. So the Germans were, were all, all of a sudden you, you put a whole bunch of civilians who thought they were on a civilian cruiser on a ship that was carrying jam-packed weapons. You let the Germans know about it on top of it in order to then create a, a situation where a bunch of civilians now get killed in a, in a German U-boat attack. And now the, the Americans are being told every day in their media, the Germans are, have attacked America it's we have to go to war as our patriotic duty now to save our honor, which is what America fell into. And the people promoting that on the American side of things were those same Anglo-American fascist interests who were bringing in eugenics across the United States as a new governing religious order. And here I'm talking about the Harriman family. I'm talking about the Cabots, the Lodges, the uh, the Eastern Establishment Blue Bloods that were organized, J.P. Morgan, the DuPont, Standard Oil Trust, Nat National Citibank. All of these organizations that were funding fascism, Mussolini, Hitler, French fascism, working with Trotsky, that was the operation that oversaw the murder of McKinley, right? The, the, the 1901 murder of McKinley, which brought an Anglophile pro-Confederate uh, Teddy Roosevelt into the presidency, was also, this was the creation of the same period that the, the Pilgrim Society was created, right? The, the Pilgrim Society, which was the the Anglo-American, it was overseen, even today, the Pilgrim Society still exists over 120 years later. Its 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 patron is King Charles III, just like then it was Queen, uh, I guess it was probably King Edward VII, who was the guy who was initiating and organizing the profiling of his different idiot uh, uh, nephews who were all the, you know, the czars of Russia, the, the, the the Kaiser of of Germany, all of these leading inner in inbred uh, governors of these different regions of Europe and Russia were all progeny of Queen Victoria and these these black noble family members who were all who were then profiled and sacrificed by their own uncle, um, who was himself overseeing and patronizing the growth of Cecil Rhodes, the Rhodesian networks that had carried out at the same time. Right, the Second Boer War was going on in 1900, 1900 to 1902, uh, where the entire Rhodes, you know, the Milner group, the Rhodes group were, were reorganizing a new nucleus, a power center of, of, of um, new managers for the new reorganized global British empire. And who was, a, who was a key part of that thing? You had Lord Kitchener, 
I don't know why Lord Kitchener was uh, was on the the Lusitania, but he was killed on the Lusitania. So I mean, it shows you even if even if you're if you want to be a high level manager for the oligarchy, your uh, your life is not secure. Everybody thinks that that somehow they're gonna like become close enough to Satan that Satan is gonna take care of them. And no, everybody is sacrificial in this great game. But on top of that, you had Claude uh, Dancy. You ever hear of Claude Dancy? No, no, the name does not ring a bell. Founder of U.S. military intelligence. That's Claude Dancy. Claude Dancy oh. was a British um, Rhodesian who worked in South Africa, uh, suppressing the Boers, working to to slaughter black and Dutch um, uprise uh, farmers who were trying to defend themselves against the British takeover of that entire region. That was the first and second Boer War. Claude Dancy was down there for years, organizing, getting his skill set on the ground, carrying out a war against women and children creating the first concentration camps that were later on deployed in, in Germany a few decades later. Uh, that Claude Dancy, he became um, what the deputy uh, the deputy chief of Britain's early MI6, which was set up in 1909. He was, uh, a right, he was very close to the Milner groups. He was very close to Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was also on the ground in South Africa during the Boer War. He was a captive, actually, but he was he was on the same platoon as uh, Claude Dancy. All of these guys are are all um, part of the same little ne uh, nest who who shaped so much of the of the 20th century. And we most people don't even know. Claude Dancy, after 1909, this guy is brought into the United States. He's actually brought in by William Rockefeller, who then is the brother of John D. Rockefeller. William Rockefeller is overseeing Standard Oil brings in this asshole to become a, a senior fellow with the Sleepy Hollow uh, uh, Country Club, which is sort of the, the the um, like people have heard of uh, the monster Jek at Jekyll's Island. Correct. It was the same thing. Right. This is this is the, the biggest, most prestigious skull and bones-esque country club in, uh, in um, New England. And, uh, and so Claude Dancy is brought in to basically organize an, a, a, the secret policing oper operations modeled on the United on, on the on the on Britain and the British example inside of America hobnobbing with the corporate banking and political elite um, he then becomes the founder of US military intelligence in the in World War one when World War one starts now America's become enmeshed Dancy Dancy is actually the one first and first of all Dancy, I'm just reading a book called uh, Colonel Z, so it's all fresh in my mind. I don't have it with me. Uh, I'm going to write something on this. But it's, it's been something I've been looking at for the past few days, so it's like all blah, blah, blah. It's it's it's, it's hot in my head. But <laughs> Dancy, he's the guy. Okay, so he oversees creating forged documents. And people say that there's proof. I've never seen any proof. I don't think there is proof. Documents that were created by the British who said that this is the story that they, they de-encrypted German messages to the German spies working with the president of Mexico to uh, invade the United States. So they put out a story that Mexico with the Germans, you know, Germany's at war with Britain uh, have a, a, a secret plan to invade the United States and take back Texas. Now the British said we, but we intercepted these communications, de-encrypted them. And now we're giving them to you. And America is still neutral in the war, right? They're not in it yet. So this is the thing that was was used to persuade Woodrow Wilson finally that America needs needs to get into the war. Now, <clears throat> again, 
there's no evidence that the Germans and the Mexicans ever had such a, a plan in place at all. It looks like the British just cooked it up. There was still not, this was, I think now, February of 1917. It, there was still not enough, that was not sufficient to get the, the masses to, to acquiesce to a war with Germany. The, Amer the, the American people still understood much better than than they do today of the perfidious role of the of the British in enmesh trying to enmesh the United States in artificial wars abroad, which is what George Washington um, warned about in his in his final um, message to the population was do not get enmeshed in European or British wars abroad. That was why George Washington put his foot down when he saw that the French Revolution was turning into a shit show when all of the leaders who were qualified. Uh, to actually lead the, the French Revolution, all got their heads cut off, and the thing became essentially a British-directed color revolution by that time. And people still criticize George Washington for not getting the United States into the French Revolution, and they don't—they're just naive. They don't realize what he understood that they don't, which is that the the French Revolution was over. Like anything viable that would have made this work was destroyed by 1793, and um, and so you know Washington understood British intelligence operations and methodologies. He had dealt with it directly inside of the heart of the United States with his own deep state operatives that were receiving orders from British high command during the, the War of Independence and afterwards. So he understood the complexity and the sophistication of, of this evil beast very well. Um, and he put forth this policy that America has to clean up its own act. It has to, you know, de-weed its own garden and, and become... Um, a, a truly economically sovereign country with an advanced, cultured, educated citizenry. If we can do that, then we can start looking abroad um, as far as setting the, the 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 pace of policies internationally. But we can't do that until we become a morally upright society first. So um, that was reemphasized by John Quincy Adams. That was reemphasized by Abraham Lincoln and his allies. Don't go and do this until you clean up your own act. Don't don't go try to chase monsters to destroy. Um, so this is the thing back, the people in 1917 hearing this information that the that the Germans had a plan with Mexico to invade the U.S. still didn't want to jump into a war with Germany. Most most of the immigrants of America were of German descent by that time anyway. You know, like people didn't want that. So not even most, but many, many, many. And, and Germany was still seen as a, as a representative of the best of culture, the best of classical music, science, literature, Schiller, Goethe. You know, like it was not something that most Americans loved. They loved this culture. They didn't want, they didn't, they didn't, they, they didn't understand why they had to go into a war with something on the side of their enemy, which they understood was the center of evil, Britain at the time. Um, so that's where the Lusitania, um, about two weeks later was when the Lusitania was sunk as a true Gulf of Tonkin false flag incident, except unlike the Gulf of Tonkin, something actually was sunk. Whereas Gulf of Tonkin, we were just, we opened up the newspapers in the sixties and we're told, Hey, the, the Viet Cong are, are attacking our ships and, and they sunk one, um, at the Gulf of Tonkin. But no, that, that never actually happened as we've now looked back and, and, and should have known the whole time. Um, so all that to say, Franklin Roosevelt represented what the British despised. He represented from the get go an anti-world government, anti-eugenics orientation for building up sovereign nation states, reviving the Abraham Lincoln McKinley Warren Harding program opposing the League of Nations, opposing the bankers in London and Wall Street, who he sabotaged on, on many occasions. He brought in Lincoln's greenback system that had formerly been adopted in a certain way 
in the better part of Japan under the Meiji Restoration early period, as well as under Otto von Bismarck in, in Germany, who had, who had created productive credit policies. Um, it was being brought in in, uh, in Sergei Vita's Russia, who was overthrown in 1905 in the wake of the Japanese attack. Um, so the Lincoln policy was then fully revived, or not almost, revived in a more clear way than it had ever been since Lincoln was killed with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So Roosevelt always knew that the, that at some point it would be probably necessary to go and put down this fascist machine that had been built up by his enemies on Wall Street in London. But at the same time, he didn't he didn't actually go in there with the idea that we need to then create a new American empire. That was he was always opposed to the idea of empire per se, and he wrote about it, made policies to break empires forever by providing long-term credit and development um, for expanding the the effective successes of the New Deal to the industrialization of Africa, Southwest Asia, Iran, Saudi Arabia. He had programs to green Saudi Arabia with water desalination, water irrigation, same thing for China. Um, he had a program for, for South America as well to massively help the nations of the world break free and stand on their own two feet economically with full spectrum economies. I've written about this. People I have to stop attacking FDR because I get it, a, it's I, amazing. Like, I, get, I get like 10 emails attacking me for, for supporting FDR. And I'm just yeah. telling, I'm saying this right now. People have to just look at what he did and see that the, the, the Pearl Harbor thing was Churchill. And oh, right. That was the thing. Churchill was, like I said, Cloud Dancy's bosom buddy. And probably more than that, these guys were all like into their own, like they were, they were, they were all into each other as far as these sociopathic young boys around Milner. Um, Churchill then creates AUKUS, uh, sorry, the, 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 uh, the UK USA signals agreement that, right. That creates today's five eyes. This is what they're yeah. they want to expand into Japan right now with the new, the new policies of expanding this new NATO liaison office in Japan. That's going to integrate and, and, uh, coordinate better with Australia, New Zealand and, uh, and the United States. So, <clears throat> What what Churchill does is he just picks up because what is what is the five eyes? What is the AUKUS? It's the integration of the the new National Security Agency NSA, which was created by Claude Dancy, the guy great. who worked with him in South Africa around Cecil Rhodes. Claude Dancy who creates military intelligence, and then is the same guy who creates the Black Chamber in 1918. This is a, a British second in command of MI6 creating U.S. military intelligence and the U.S. Black Chamber. The Black Chamber then changes its name in the 1930s to become the NSA. Wow. NSA is then what merges with the GCHQ and MI6 and MI5 and then expands to Canada and, and New Zealand and Australia. And then Five Eyes. Five Eyes. That is what Cecil Rhodes was talking about in his, in his wills where he calls for the recapturing of the United States and the reabsorption of, that, of the lost colony into the mothership as far as the reorganization of a new global British empire. That's what yep. it is. Yep. That's what it is. Yep. That's the so we're we're literally living the and witnessing the very framework of these ideals and plans and schemes and designs that were laid down a hundred years ago. Yeah, and we're living it today, and we we don't even know where we got it from. But here's the truth, folks. Unbelievable, Matt. That is like paradigm altering info. I was, yeah, it was for me too. I mean, this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I, I got this originally, it, it goes even deeper too, right? Because when you, when you look at, when you look at the U S like the FBI, 
the FBI was created when? It was created in 19... Well, it found its origins in 1908 when uh, Charles Bonaparte, who was the district attorney of the United States, a cousin of Napoleon Bonaparte, all of these these creatures, are, are they, they've got their progeny embedded in, in governing stratas in different countries as part of the international deep state coordination. What, you know, there was a Napoleon, a Bonaparte also was installed in uh, to control Mexico during the Civil War, who got, I mean, in his case, he got his ass killed. But uh, <clears throat> Charles Bonaparte somehow becomes the Attorney General of the United States under Teddy Roosevelt. Um, Teddy Roosevelt's uncle, uh, James Bullock, is the was the head of Confederate intelligence services in Europe. Um, he lived out his days in Britain um, during the, the British coordinated civil war. Bullock is the guy who works, who trains Teddy Roosevelt to have a romantic idea of the, the glorious days of the South and the villainous evil of, of, of Lincoln, um, who Teddy Roosevelt actually in his heart of hearts always despises. And he, he, helps draft his his uncle's memoirs um so he he's he's a total tool who who idealizes the british way of governing the lower races of the world and wants to create he's the guy who first creates an anglo-american special relationship he's the guy who brings in the pilgrim society into his governing strata and it was under him that charles bonaparte is assigned uh the the role of creating america's first secret police operation um called the the bureau of investigation that becomes later on the federal bureau of of investigation which runs the early commie witch hunts which were really just political targeting witch hunt operations that took everybody who was a critic of the the british takeover of america who was working in the military in academia in government in 1917 during the fog and crisis conditions of world war one and destroyed them blink like literally you had people who were thrown in prison just for being part of the Lincoln networks in America and, and being labeled as these commie Bolsheviks. Not to say that there were not commie Bolsheviks. That was also a thing that was artificially created as a controlled opposition. But just like in the case of the, of the Cold War, that was used as a label to just like destroy everybody who was resisting the takeover of the United States by the thing that JFK was resisting. Everybody like like uh, Paul Robeson and and... Albert Einstein and and uh, Henry Wallace and Harry Dexter White and Harry Hopkins and everybody who was like what, Martin Luther King, they were all labeled red commies um, by things like the John Birch Society, you know, another uh, Mont Pelerin Fabian Society front group creating a right these right wing nests of Austrian school ideologues inside of the United States, sponsored by, um, I mean. The, the, the same the same American Liberty League op- operation that was trying to keep America out of World War II so that so that the the fascists would have the space to succeed in imposing a global world government fascist run eugenics transhumanist world religious order under this new world order in the 1930s and 40s that was that's why there was such a movement by Wall Street the, the people who would put money into trying to kill Roosevelt the same people who would put money into militarizing Japan and building up the war machine of Germany, the DuPonts, the Morgan Trust Networks, the United Steel, that were all providing support and supplies during World War II to the Nazi, the fascist, the, the, the Italian, the Japanese war machine. That that group was the same group sponsoring the, the American Liberty League that was, was at the heart of the propaganda operation to, to get Americans 
to stay out of World War II, which was interesting that, you know, even though World War II didn't have to happen, like the Wall Street and London bankers didn't have to fund fascism, so they didn't need to have World War II, but it was, it when it was becoming real that it was coming on, it had to be fought, like this fascist machine, satanic machine. It was satanic, because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, Hitler, and there's a lot of Hitler, there's a lot of revisionism to try to make Hitler seem like the good guy again, even amongst the alt media crowd that tends to not like the Great Reset. They tend to think, well, Hitler was maybe the good guy in World War II because the bet, because history is won by the winner. Here, this is the logic: because history is won by the winners, everything which we are told about history must be the opposite of the truth. So, thus, since we've been told that Hitler was the bad guy in World War II, the truth is that he must have been the good guy. And then within that context, you know, people are like, well, thus because, you know, he was against the Jews and the Jews are re the real bad guys who is what people are. This is what, how people are, are are being rewired today to become new Hitler supporters, even amongst the anti-world government, you know, uh, resistance. Now, the thing is, Hitler was himself overseeing with Goering, with the highest level SS officers, the satanic black magic Thula society. It was a hardcore, like pedophile, human sacrificing, satanic Thula society. That was very real as the organizing religion of the inner elites of the Nazi Wehrmacht. Hitler represented that. That's what he did. He was he completely embraced the euthanasia, or like killing off useless eater policy, which was the tear garden for policy of trying to put dollar values on human life in order to justify killing off people who were too expensive to maintain um, under this new pseudo scientific religion of eugenics. And this is a guy who really did want to use Russia to un to basically undo Russia and undo the the potential of that. German-Russian alliance that Otto von Bismarck and Alexander III had or had wanted so desperately, that was all coming undone as he wanted to use Russia as a slave colony uh, to be pillaged by the the Ubermenschen, the 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 overhumans of the higher Anglo-Saxon uh, bloodlines, whereas the Slavs were defined redefined by these creeps as the under Untermenschen, underhumans to be controlled and, and depopulated according to the will of, of said elite. Japan had the same ideology in place where they were going to use China as their slave colony for extraction with a, a, a certain amount of Chinese who would be permitted to live by the uber-mentioned uh, Japanese over, overlords using justifying this dominance by a system of eugenics pseudoscience. And their allies in America were the same thing. And there, were the, there was this whole relationship. And this, to, to, to carve out the world according to these jurisdictions, right? And that was what the Trilateral Commission was set up to, to revive in the 1970s under David Rockefeller, under Kissinger, under Zbigniew Brzezinski. Because what was it? It was the idea of a U.S. Uh, US European or an Anglo-American as one aspect Um European, West European, and Japanese trifecta. That's the Trilateral Commission. And when that was created, they were reviving the former promise to, to carve up the world according to these jurisdictions. That was the That's the evil version of multipolarity that Klaus Schwab speaks about. When Klaus Schwab says, or Mark Carney says, the, the future has to be multipolar, 
That's what they're talking about. This is not the same meaning as the words multipolarity that you hear coming out of Sergei Lavrov or Xi Jinping or Modi or uh, the leadership of Iran. It's a, it's a different paradigm, just the same word, different paradigm. And, and there's an, an interesting thing that Alex Craner um, pointed out. And uh, my wife, Cynthia, actually, she uh, she wrote a, a long essay, which is going to be part of a special report we're going to be publishing very soon. It's actually going to be out in Jap Japan. It's translated. I think it's going to be out in the Japanese bookstores by within two weeks. And it's called Breaking Free of Anti-China PSYOPs. So we, we now have a second part two of Breaking Free of Anti-China PSYOPs. It's an 80-page special report. Um, so the Japanese markets are going to, are going to get a version of, or a, a translation of this, um, very shortly. Um, we're producing part two, and this is a, this is something that Alex Craner and my wife both wrote about from Nikkei Asia, where a few months ago, there was for the first time ever, a, a trilateral commission meeting in Japan. And in, in this, um, meeting, this is, I think in November of 2022, uh, Journalists, the Japanese government, or the the no, the, I shouldn't say that, but maybe in a certain way. But the 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 leadership representing Japan in the Trilateral Commission allowed for the first time Japanese journalists from Nikkei Asia to enter and cover the proceedings. This had never happened because because tra uh, trilat the Trilateral Commission has always followed Chatham House rules. Chatham House rules—that's the Rhodes Scholar. Uh, think tank Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is that everything that is that happens within Chatham House within the proceedings stays secret. It's the that's the policy. That's what they call it. That's what they call the the, the Bilderberger Group. Also adopted Chatham House rules, and so thus did uh, Trilateral Commission. Except this one meeting for the first time, Nikkei Asia reporters were allowed in, and it's interesting to note what went on and 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 they document. I'll actually just read a little section of this. Um, the press, this is Nikkei Asia reporting here, the press had been invited to highlight a rift that may be emerging between Asia and other wings of the organization. We feel that the U.S. policy towards Asia, especially towards China, has been narrow-minded and unyielding. We want the people of the U.S. to recognize the various Asian perspectives, said Mashi uh, Masahisa Ikeda an executive committee member of the Trilateral, Trilateral Commission. Ikeda has been named the next director of the Asia-Pacific group of the Trilateral Commission and is scheduled to assume the position next spring. That's coming up. I, I think he actually is, is in there now. A new sentiment has now emerged from the Asia-Pacific group. Without proper steering, the U.S.-China rivalry may lead the world into a dangerous confrontation. And they go through in this, in, in this uh, paper the uh, the importance that were placed of including China and chi some Chinese representation because everyone under uh, Rahm Emanuel Rahm Emanuel is the is the U.S. ambassador to Japan who is overseeing the Trilateral Commission summit and all of the Japanese representatives are saying well look we're talking about the future of the Asia Pacific but we've never even been permitted to invite one Chinese representative to this summit and there was a big battle huge fault lines and uh, I think that. The murder of um, of, of uh, Shinzo Abe played into this because what was Shinzo Abe doing? Well, while he was using an anti-China rhetoric in his public discourse, just like Trump uh, often does, if you look at what he was doing, 
as as a man who was himself like the old school type of non-technocratic statesman, um, that's what Shinzo Abe was. He was a guy who had deep connections in the business community. He looked to make deals, always looking for back-channel diplomacy. He was also in the midst of, he had put years of work into building up win-win cooperation on the Russian Far East development with Chinese companies, making sure that Japanese companies and uh, Chinese companies would work on co-developing and co-running oil fields in Russia that would be supplying both Japan and um, and China together. Um, he was working to resolve a lot of the disputes along the, uh, the Senkaku-Diayu disputed islands by re-emphasizing the four treaties of peaceful mutual coexistence signed by Japan and China since the 1970s. Um, and really in a certain way, pushing back in a certain way. I mean, and there's only so much pushback you can do if you're part of the military industrial complex colony groups. And Japan does have 50,000 U.S. troops stationed mostly in Okinawa on the southernmost part of Japan as part of front, a, a front basing operation to prepare for an attack on China. Um, just like the, the, the Americans have 28,000 troops in South Korea, another another member of the growing quad, uh, the, the, the Pacific NATO groupings that are pushing forth for a, a collective security pact. Not that these countries particularly want that, but it's just that there's that much desperate pressure being put onto them by their Anglo-American overlords who are trying to install a, a ring around, a circle around China and Russia. Japan still has a war with, with they never signed a peace treaty with Russia. Right, and they still have disputed uh, claims over certain islands in uh, in the Pacific that Russia has already built up military systems of defense. And Russia has said, "Look, we are ultimately willing to sign a peace treaty with you." Putin has said this on several occasions, but they just said, "You have to stop being a U.S. military colony for us to do that." And if you do, if you kick out the U.S. US military and become a sovereign country, we'll happily have a peace treaty with you. And you can, we can have a serious conversation about you getting those those islands back, the Kuril Islands. But in then, no, 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 no. And it's the same thing, you know. Like if if Taiwan, if if Taiwan wasn't targeted to become a U.S. military colony, as they have been for most of you know the entirety of the Cold War, with U.S. run puppets, you know, managing Taiwan. And if the Philippines was able to, you know, do what Duterte was trying to do back in 2018, 2019 with Trump which was eliminate the U.S. military controls and military bases in the Philippines. And if Taiwan was is able to carry out what the, the current king was trying in various ways to do to cut off U.S. military uh, manipulation of Taiwan, uh, sorry, Thailand, I should say, if all of these things were the case, then there would be no issue whatsoever. You know, China and Russia would completely abide by the security of and and the sovereignty and the sovereign claims of territories of all of those countries who would all want to work with China naturally as most of the people um who live there want and they don't most people don't want to be caught in the in the nuclear military crossfire of a of a war that doesn't need to happen um and be burnt to a crisp and die they would rather not that but there's this other thing so this is what Americans have to just sort of become more savvy about to see how it is that this this desperate game is being played what trump had done successfully during that period while he was in the president because he did put forth policies that were massively beneficial to a u.s russia china peaceful uh relationship based on win-win cooperation that that's a fact and all of the countries that are currently being set up under you know the biden regime to be uh use these weapons in this war, um, they're going to die if we don't return, restore back that former same type of dialogue process that was going on. I just looked at the time 
and I ranted. I'm sorry so much, but I'm, I'm going to have to go for a press TV interview in like three minutes. Hey, don't worry. Matt, thank you so much for coming on with us. And, uh, dude, kick-ass information. Folks, check him out at CanadianPatriot.org, RisingTideFoundation.net. Monsieur Elette, c'est la vie. C'est la vie. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. C'est la vie and beyond. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> c'est la vie and beyond. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Cheers.